Hello everyone, Robbie here and welcome to episode number 33 of the Coach's Journey podcast and my guest in this episode is Raquel Ark. Now the name Listening Alchemy, which is Raquel's business, came to her in the middle of the night, evoking ideas of how art and science could combine and to distill and purify the act of listening. Um, Soon after, she was asked to deliver a number of workshops on listening, which as she um, dived into them, gave her the confidence to build a career around the subject to which you know, it feels pretty clear now she has devoted her life and turning that listening alchemy into a business. As her recent TED Talk testifies, listening is the centre of her work as a communications coach, a public speaker, a mentor of leaders and host of her podcast, uh, Listen In. Her mission now is to give listening a voice. Uh, and when she said that, you can hear me in this conversation, you know, drop down a level of understanding what she's about and what she wants to do. Um, and she teaches people how to listen in a way that creates true connection, leading to change and action at an individual level and at a broader systemic level. Um, and we get into some of the tools she uses to do that in this conversation. Um, she also shares powerful insights about her life and work, including a metaphorical tool for getting present in coaching sessions. Um, and she says shares loads of research and ideas about how people's minds really work when they're listening. Uh, we talk about the power of playfulness in opening doors to new coaching methods, we talk about coaching as a meditation on presence. We talk about how to make sure you are understood in the way that's important to you. Uh, and we talk about listening circles. And Raquel gets really practical about how to use them to ensure that everyone's voice is heard in a in a meeting. Um, and there's a really, you know, it's just a very practical guide through there on a tool that anyone could pick up and use with a group. And a powerful tool as well, by the sound of it to me. Um, Raquel explains how listening is about more than words um, and you know, throughout this conversation, I think you'll be given loads of insight, practical insight to allow you um, to allow your clients to listen to themselves. Uh, and that's a, a really exciting and important part of coaching. Um, before we get to the conversation, um, since the last episode of the podcast, my book is out. Um, and I just want to say, if you fancy going over to um, to Amazon uh, and buying a copy, that would be amazing. Um, for those who don't know, the book is called How to Start a Book, Business or Creative Project When You're Stuck. How to Start When You're Stuck. And it's the first book based on my 12-minute method, which is also how I wrote the book. Um, all, all the chapters in the book are written in a 12-minute sitting. Um, and and for the, again, for those who don't know, it emerged from my own struggles with procrastination, um, with not being productive in the way that I wanted to, and my fear of sharing things with the world. And through that, I developed a practice which I hope now um, can inspire more people now that it's finally out in book form. Um, so there are links to that book wherever you're, um, wherever you're listening to this, um, or you can go to robbieswale.com and find links, or you can you can search for me on Amazon, and you should find. Um, should find the book there wherever you are but I put links in which will take you straight to the pages um, in the podcast description um, when a book is out especially when you're a uh, you know I'm not I don't have a giant publishing house behind me um, really word of mouth uh, the people that I know my networks those are the things that matter as um, is writing a reviewer on Amazon or or, or Goodreads or somewhere that, that, that you use for that kind of thing. Those are really, really important. So if you are able to and up for taking a look at my book and, and perhaps grabbing a copy, um, or if you don't want it or you've already got one, um, think about who's... we've all. I, I, the way I think about it is we, we've all got a friend who every time you see them, they're talking about the business they want to start, the book they're going to write, um, 
the the other creative project that that gets them going they're they're just about to do it and then the next time you speak to them they're still just about to do it and this book is designed for those people it's designed to get into the thing that thing that you're always meaning to do and don't do and so do take a look at that Um, again it's called how to start when you're stuck it's by me and it's now available on amazon Um, and that's very exciting and it's been very very lovely to get get some reports on on people reading it some pictures of it all over the world already so that's very exciting but please do um, if you uh, are so inclined take a look at that book but back to this episode with Raquel um, super great to have her here um, in the conversation uh, as I'll say straight away she was I, I was linked to her by a member of the coach's journey community um, read more about that if you're interested in being, being part of a community, getting coached by me, being connected to other coaches who want to thrive as humans and have thriving businesses. Um, Vera, one of the members of the community, connected me to Raquel because they do some work together. And it's a wonderful conversation that, that, that Raquel and I have. We get practical pretty early with bouncing ideas around about how to share ideas with clients, how to get present. Um, how to tell your client when you're not listening or when you lose your attention, which is an important thing to remember. Um so we get into that right at the start, and like I said, we we get really practical um, towards the end too when we're talking about uh, listening circles, and also when Raquel talks about how she structures an offer to help an employee sell coaching to their boss. Um, we Raquel's just a great storyteller, um, and it's like she her storytelling really touches me. I, I hope it does you too. She's a great observer of flow, a uh, presence, serendipity, and and metaphor, and she she brings those things out really beautifully. Um, we also get into some amazing stuff about listening research, um, and so much of what Ra- Raquel shares on on listening is is really based in the research that that she's been a part of, and that some of her mentors, colleagues, the people she's interviewed have have done too. Um, and one of the most interesting bits of that for me was was uh, how a lack of listening uh, may be leading to uh, more extreme political beliefs. And the twenty sixteen uh, U.S. election felt like it it was played a key role in Raquel's journey. So definitely listen out for that. She also says something, well, we get to a place between as I think about, you know, why questions are really nothing without listening. And I really believe that's too true. Um, we also, a little trailer for a future podcast episode, she mentions the thinking environment. And for those of you who know what that is, we've got an episode with an amazing um, specialist in the thinking environment coming up. Um, but that, um, you know, that really is is all by way of hopefully getting you excited about this deep dive that Raquel and I get into on listening. And so without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the fantastic Raquel Ark. Raquel, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thank you, Robbie. It is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah, we were just, for some reason I'm just, I've just laughed there because I was just, we were just talking before we switched on about how I have to warn people I'm going to like um, bring them in. Uh, straight away otherwise people sometimes have a little pause and sorry sorry audience listeners I just laughed at that because it was funny because you you did a beautiful even though you knew that was coming you did a beautiful and authentic um, response so thank you you know why because it really is a pleasure to be here I'm really happy (laughs) to be on this podcast and I'm not making that up Oh, so lovely to hear. And uh, yeah, for anyone who's watching or, or anyone who's listening, right, will be able to hear actually the smile on your face and that that is that feels very true. So I'm really glad. I'm really happy that you're here. Um, we were connected by a mutual friend of ours, Vera Yanka. Um, Vera and I go back quite a few years to when we both worked at the Royal Opera House together. And then uh, by coincidence, as far as I know, we've both ended up. Uh, Vera is now a, men- a member of the Coaches Journey community, which is a kind of group program that I run alongside um, this podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, 
has that interest in coaching, in listening. Um, and so that's a really funny coincidence. And it's, I, I, you know, I love it when members of the community or followers of the podcast suggest guests. But what quite often happens is they don't kind of quite fit in with who I've got coming up or more likely, um, and so they go on my list, or more likely I reach out and the diaries become a nightmare and they don't get scheduled in. And then we had just this lovely serendipitous thing where here we are just a few weeks after um, Vera suggested uh, you come on the podcast uh, having this conversation and it's so it's absolutely yeah lovely to have you here too yeah well it's a perfect timing because you know the end of the year is kind of crazy for everyone but that craziness is just starting to slow down yeah. <laughs> so to have this conversation and to actually take this long to have it is a really nice opportunity because it doesn't happen very often does it yeah and and it is an interesting you know, it's always an interesting time, isn't it? The end of the year. Well, the, all the all the parts of the year, um, and I've heard Vera talk really articulately about this. You know, the seasons and the cycles and the way the rhythms that we get into, and and it is that interesting moment now. We're recording at this kind of second week of December, and there's a certainly in the UK, uh, I imagine in Germany where you are, there's um, yeah, there's there's the kind of end of the year mixture of rush and and calming, and then there'll be that kind of sense of new start that will happen in the not too distant future. And that's, that's always interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. And actually Vera that you mentioned, I was just thinking she's actually someone who's very good about taking time to think about that and get ready for the next one. So she's also been nudging me (laughs) to take that time too. So I have to appreciate her for that. Yeah. It's so good of you to do that. I noticed that about her too. And as someone who is perennially like for all that I've done a lot of work on this, I do do a lot of stuff. Um, and I think there's like an element of like, I could definitely benefit from that, that slowing that you're absolutely right. Vera is very good at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Raquel, let's like, you know, the, one of the, one of the kind of rhythms of this podcast is that I often like to, you know, to draw a start um, from when you first came across, when the guest, in this case, you first came across coaching in the way that we're talking it now. So I wonder, like, do you remember that when you first, I don't know, heard about or experienced or or, or thought about coaching? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, you know, my um, I studied interpersonal and organizational communication at university. So communication was part of my program. Um, And it wasn't until, this is years later, after I'd lived in the States at the time. And then this is years later after I was living in Germany and I was working in the chemical industry and corporate communications and public relations. And I had just had my uh, son. So he was young. He was around two years old. And I was working a lot. (laughs) I was working a lot. And I remember I had gone home for Thanksgiving. and. We got together with some good friends, and one of the sister-in-laws of this friend, she happened to be a coach, and she was telling me about that. I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I can't even remember what type of coach she she was, but she was some type of coach. And I thought, oh, I can do that. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, and I thought it just piqued my interest. And then I started doing some research just to see what kind of programs and stuff were out there. And By chance, I spoke to two of my aunts, one who is a psychologist and one who 
um, was a, a director in human resources. And we were all together for Thanksgiving. And I mentioned this to them. And by chance, my they were thinking about it too. <laughs> and my one aunt and I found the same program, um, which was based... It's based in Australia, but the program had all the classes in U.S. time, and I was in Germany. So that worked really well because I could work and I could take classes when I got home. So this is, and so we ended up taking the classes from the same program, and that was all serendipity. So I figured that was meant to be. And the reason why I decided to do that was because I wanted something, uh, some time for myself. So I had my work. I had my my young son, and I knew I needed to take care of myself a little bit. So I planned on two hours a week doing that program. It took me two years, but that was my time. Mm. Yeah, and as someone with a little a little one in in not in the flat at the moment, although we might hear her later on when she gets back. Um, <laughs> uh, you know that I can really feel that sense of of the need for my time, both for me and and, and for my wife. And yeah, how lovely that you did it with your arm like that just sounds like for some reason that just really that touches me yeah I don't even know if we were in that many classes together but but we were but we could chat in between and share stories and kind of connect with each other and um I don't know if she ever really did a whole lot with coaching because she had her whole you know psychology practice but it was and there was um there ended up I think she had planned on it but at the time then um, the psychology board in Ohio uh, decided there was competition between coaching. And so if you did do coaching, that would you would risk your business. So there were some challenges that way. So she ended up not being able to do the coaching like she had planned because of that stuff that happens in terms of power play. I mean, how interesting is that? Like, I mean, I imagine they might have changed their mind about that now, or do you, do you know? Because the, I mean, in a lot of places, there are a lot of coaches who also or psychologists who also practice as coaches. It probably depends on where you live, uh, what the laws are, but you need to check. <laughs> so <Yeah>. check that. <laughs> yeah. And so at what so at the time you were working in Germany in the in the chemicals industry and mm-hmm. in corporate communications, did exactly. did the when when did coaching start to play more of a role? Were you using it in your work straight away or was it did it did it come in more gradually? I started using it in my role with leaders. Cause I had, I had a close connection with the senior leaders and I started, it started changing how I worked with them. So for example, I would have someone come to me and say, um, you know, we're closing down this production, but we're opening this production, you know, I'm wondering about timing and communication. How do we give this news because it's positive, but there's also some negative, you know, and I would, instead of jumping into giving them solutions, I would take time to find out what was most important to them, have them think through what um, what they found that no matter what happened and no matter what was decided, what was the most important thing for them. So that was a kind of a level of coaching. So for example, if they said, well, being transparent is most important to me, then that changes how you do the strategy. So you do have your expertise there, but I took time to find that out too, because that impacts how a leader will approach their um, project or what they need to do. That's where I started using it. Eventually, I was just, you know, people started asking me to coach them. I did that a lot in the organization, but it wasn't until I left the organization that I dove in a lot deeper. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, with the communications, like, you know, I can hear how for the leader doing that communication, which could be tricky, 
if it's got, especially when it's got the potentially the, those negative parts to it, I can hear how, you know, getting into what's important for them would um, allow them to be at peace with themselves more at the end of the process, because they'll have thought well, what, what matters here. And then they'll have hopefully fulfilled that with your help in the communications. Did, did you, did you see that kind of coaching you were doing at that stage also affect the way that the communication was received? Do you mean the, oh, um, that's a good question. What I noticed is that uh, it probably depends because some projects take a lot longer, right, to get done. <laughs> so, but it did definitely impact how they communicated with, with teams or their groups and how they, how in these day-to-day activities and their, um, their that helped give them clarity in the decisions that they made. Right. And that clarity I find helps the people around you to be more clear. So the clearer that the leader is the clearer the people around them can be clear. Yeah. It's it's a slightly, in some way, I'm just catching the the kind of slight naivety in the question because, and what you've just pointed to, I think is the complexity or the uh, texture of it. It's like there's, I was imagining, and this is the naivety that like the communication is we think about it and then we send some stuff at some people in some way. And some of that might be the leader speaking and some of it might be, might be the, the the written stuff, but of course, one of the most important things will be how does that leader show up in communicating this thing in every single interaction that they have mm-hmm. about the topic? And um, it strikes me as yeah, I have you know much you know experience, plenty of experience in my own life and from client work with the difference that it can make to have that clarity when you're going into all those interactions because it's not as simple as the kind of yeah fairly simple idea of the broadcast communication it's actually the the complexity of i'm going to be you know it's like leadership or leading by values or culture it's like i need to be that culture i need to be this communication everywhere i go and 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 actually the the kind of i imagine that you taking the conversation that level deeper in those initial meetings you had must have Mm -hmm. just made such a difference for those people well you know it's funny though because I've always been a little bit well I I, there's you know the traditional type of coaching (laughs) and then I did a the traditional one which is more with ice with which was based on ICF you know so I got certified certified that way Um, and then I also did an extra coaching afterwards through transformational presence which is through uh, someone uh, the person who is the founder of that is um, Alan Seal and he's written quite a few books and that was serendipity too. Most of my, most of my life seems serendipity here. And that was just by chance because I had a friend in the U S who wrote me and said, Hey, Raquel, um, I'm thinking about becoming a coach. Do you have any books that you would recommend? And I'm like, well, um, no, but my aunt who I was doing, <laughs> my aunt said that Alan has really good books, I, that this person has really good books. And he was also one of the instructors at the time in this program that I would go to every so often, but I'd never read his books. She writes back two weeks later, oh my gosh, I bought all of them and they're so good. Are you going to go to his training? I'm like, oh, he does training? I didn't know. (laughs) And so I looked up and I saw, oh, there's in-person training in Europe and there's online training. And it looked interesting. So I just checked it out and I had a conversation with him and I ended up signing up for their online training um, just because I love to learn, you know? (laughs) So that's, that's just part of who I am. And that was a great experience because it's definitely a lot more intuitive. It's very creative. There's a lot of um, different ways of coaching in a way where you really have people moving or moving around or trying to imagine, you know, uh, 
images. Like for example, with this, with this guy, with the production, I use some, see, I, I try things out even in the corporate world. I, I'm like, okay, so he got transparency. He said, transparency, transparency is important to me. And I, so I said, okay, then imagine that transparency is in the room with you, with us here in this room. What does it look like? What does it smell like? Does it have a color? Does it have a feeling? Does it have a smell? You know, what, what do you sense into it? And you would think someone in this senior level would be like, what the heck is she talking about? But they don't, but he was in that space. And he was like, oh, it's a plant and it's growing this way. And he described this beautiful plant. And for him, I didn't understand it completely, but it didn't matter. For him, it was clear and he could make the connection at a different level, at a deeper level. Yeah. So, th- so this particular program was also a very creative way, is very a creative way of move of coaching. So I love different ways of coaching because if you see a client stuck in one way, then you can always move to these other ways where people are actually moving. I find that if you get people up, stand to stand up and move around, then things, then their m- brain gets clear and they, they start to get unblocked. Or if you move them, if you bring out like a metaphor or an image, then it gets them out of their head into this other space and then they can get clear again. You know, there's these fun ways to do that. And it's more fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And there's like, uh, you know, I think it's also interesting. There might've been, I don't know, right. But there might've been somebody who could have said to that particular person, what is, what is transparency? Imagine transparency is in the room and, and they didn't, they wouldn't have gone for it. And I don't know if this is true, but in this moment, I had the intuition that like, playfulness in those moments actually probably you know and you're, you can hear that in the way that you're talking the playfulness the experimentation the fun it's like i i imagine that that stops people from doing if everyone's a bit nervous about like talking about the kind of is is transparency a plan then everyone gets a bit nervous but if one person is just really playful and just asks that question and invites somebody into that slightly different space it's just kind of it feels like it would be quite natural to just mm. go with it yeah and i think part of it is having that really safe space that people aren't worried, thinking about, you know, aren't worrying about it. They're just in their own world, you know, and let them be in their own world. And then you're just kind of this voice guiding them (laughs) in their own world. (laughs) I don't matter anymore. And if I throw something out there and, and it's, and it's confusing for them or they don't get it, that's okay. Then you shift, you just tack. And then try yeah. something else and no big deal. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If not, we'll try something else. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Did, did but we always this? get to the, they always pull something. There's always golden nuggets and next steps and action at the end. <laughs> did, but did you always feel, I'm laughing because did you always feel, you sound very comfortable with the idea that you might throw something out there and it might not fit at all. And that's okay. Did you always feel like that? Um. That's a good question. I don't know if I've always felt that way, but yeah. I've probably, um, probably just lived growing up in different cultures, moving to to like even moving to Germany, not knowing the language and just trying to figure things out. I've just, uh, I still make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And so I've just gotten used to it. And then I just have fun with it. Maybe that's yeah. why. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but to just try it and see if it works. Um, I think I, who knows I've, I've built that muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's a really valuable muscle to build. It, it definitely, some presence training that I did actually is that that took me, I think that was um, with a company called Coaches Rising. The training is now called, I just changed the name of it, The Power of Presence or something like that. And 
I think that was where it, that that I got much more comfortable with that that thing that you've just been talking about. About I'm just going to try talking about you know what would it be like if presence showed up in the room and yeah oh sorry if if transparency showed up in the room and and just asking that from a kind of present place and being playful and using mm-hmm. all the different parts. I think for me that there was a shift there and it is that thing that you said which is um I don't really matter I think you said I don't really matter you know it's just about the person and me guiding them mm-hmm. and I think that 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 is quite an important shift for coaches to go mm-hmm. through basically because it does open up a whole new set of things and it stops a whole lot of worry uh, that a lot of people take into their coaching sessions am I doing this right essentially so what about you I'm just curious with you what about this have, are you the type of person that just throws something out every so often I mean we have raw podcasts here but there's yeah, some planning yeah. around yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I absolutely am I love when you said that like I um but it was partly it started at that training that 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 really did get me used to it because part of the the training you know it was then it was called coaching from source which you know they didn't really define source, which really bothered some people, but because I quite like not, I'm quite reasonably comfortable and we could talk about why that might be, but you know, with, okay, let's just within the structure we've got, let's allow some more play. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I just played with that. What happens if, if I have an intuition to do a particular exercise or say something that isn't, isn't kind of speech marks coaching, um, what happens? And it turned out what happened was mostly really, valuable stuff for the client um and what didn't happen was i guess the worry that i might have had which would be um uh they will do the thing that maybe you on some level just caught before that your your leader with the transparency question might have had which is is this a stupid thing why is this person saying this really weird wacky thing to me you know which might be like my fear of what would happen and actually that didn't happen because mostly my intuition had had the power you know, was, was on it. And if it wasn't on it, it turned out it didn't really matter to me. It was like, okay, that's fine. And that's a much better space to be in, in any conversations as a human, I think, but particularly a coaching conversation. And, and also, yeah, I like you, I love like, if you've just, if I've just learned something like that's the perfect time to, to try it with a client when the moment arises. Mm -hmm. And often the universe seems to just, you know, give, give me the client uh obviously i'm not sure you know we could talk about the neuroscience and why this might actually be happening but it feels like you know learn something then within a couple of days i'll end up with a client in a conversation and there's the moment and um, there's the moment yeah <laughs> but you know i found like sometimes just trying and not worrying about it if you're really if you feel um if you're calm if you're present if you're okay with whatever you know you don't have these fears are driving you then that person that you're with is also going to be calm and present you know that's that's part of that process and you know i've thrown that out at different people at different times but i would say most of the time people are ready to play they might it might be a little out of their comfort zone but uh they enjoy playing most people i think it's in our nature to want to play you know? but it's nice that's a good you've pointed to something really good there which is it may be out of their comfort zone. What it made me think is uh, it's important if you're going to play with somebody uh, in a session that you don't give up on the play the moment they they are slightly hesitant. Right, no. Like you, can, you can just go, you can just give them it again in, a, in an equally as playful way. That's what quite often happens. I'll give people a kind of slightly wacky question and they'll kind of, uh, first they'll laugh it off. Like I, one that I quite often do is, you know, if, um, you know, if, if the tech goes down, or if there's some like thing that happens where somebody is or where I am. So like, 
when my daughter was born, there was quite a lot of, I mean, I mean, we're in a reasonably small uh, flat in London. There was quite often crying that occurred through the walls in my calls. And sometimes people would notice it. And then the interesting question, whatever the disruption is, is if this uh, disruption was a message from the universe for you, what's the message? And what's funny about that question is mostly people kind of laugh it off. And then if you just wait or you give them the question again, they come up with an incredible message. Yeah. And I've had people's dogs and uh, the breakdown of um, the breakdown of the internet and storms and uh, yeah, cra- crashes of thunder and little babies crying give all kinds of very wise advice to, um, mm. to That's clients. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a wacky thing to do. And so is... Um, if you're in a room with people, you know, the, you know, looking at the room and, and, and playing with space in the kind of ways, ways you hinted, but I guess we're in this place now and it, it was partly in it because you did this training on presence. Uh, mm. And when you talk to coaches who, when I talk to coaches, you know, and, when, and I ask them what is, what, you know, what matters. And also when I, you know, I'm with a colleague who was the guest on the last episode of the podcast, actually, um, we're currently delivering some coaching training to new coaches. And, you know, we're thinking really carefully about how we do that. And, you know, it's very obvious to us that there has to be a lot in it about presence. Mm-hmm. You know, presence is, I think, a big part of, you know, and, and your presence is, I'm, I'm certain, a part of why those those playful things you do with clients and, and people you're working with land. And, I'm you know, you know, I know that I've, I've read you talking about that in in different ways how you know what are you what's the question i better ask a question i've been talking quite a while haven't i uh how do you think about presence and about getting present <sighs> to me i'll connect this a little bit to how it prepares me for with this listening work that i do but um it's like it's like, um, for me, it's like watching the sunset. Um, so if I'm at the beach in Puerto Rico, this is my, this is my, this is my go-to spot. This is where like I grew, grew up. up. Yeah. This is where I grew up. Yeah. Boqueron in Boqueron, Puerto Rico, for those who are listening, who have been to Puerto Rico on the West side. And this is where I grew up. And when, when I think about presence and listening, my image that comes to me is the sunset. And when you're at the beach watching, watching the sunset, as the sun is going down, you can't really look directly at the sun, can you? You have to kind of pull, you have to be in tune with the whole perspective and you see the colors changing and you can glance directly at the sun just a little bit, but not fully because it'll hurt your eyes, right? So you're taking in this whole perspective the colors are constantly changing or the clouds are in the way or the sun's kind of peeping in behind or coming out again. You know, it's, there's this constant movement and change happening and you have to stay present because at the very last second, there might be this flash of green, the very last second. So only a couple of seconds. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss it, <laughs> but you're still taking in the whole, right? And so for me, presence is that. So that feeling of when I'm watching the sunset and it's going down and I'm really paying attention to see if I can catch that green flash tonight because it doesn't always show. And is that possible? Um, the colors on the water, you're hearing the waves, you know, this whole thing, that to me is my presence. That's what 
that feeling and what I'm doing with the sunset. That's what I do also with coaching or when, when I'm listening with people, like even now you're, I'm, I'm focused on you, but I'm also focused on all the colors around the sounds around everything going on around things that aren't maybe necessarily even said. Um, and that's, that's probably a good image of what presence means to me. Yeah. Well, and like you said before, you know, there's something, you know, when we go into metaphor, there's like a different part of us that gets engaged and it definitely engaged me there. I felt like quite a little moved by it even, and I'm sure listeners felt some of that. And it's an amazing metaphor, I think, for coaching, because it's like, there's so much going on in the sunset and the flash of green, right? If we're not paying really careful attention in a very general, very present way, we miss those flashes yeah. of green, whatever they are. That means are that I can't be in my head. I have to be like, I'm in my whole body when it comes down to it. My mind is clear. It takes practice to keep your mind, your mind clear. And yeah. it doesn't mean that you're, you don't waver, you don't think something, but, um, but in general to come really back to that space. And I found the more I practice that, the better I am at it. And um, how do you practice it? I, how do I practice? I keep just coming <laughs> every time I've noticed myself uh, wander. I just bring myself back. I just keep bringing myself back. And then I find that I am bringing myself back less <laughs> often. Yeah. That's all. That's it. Just yeah. being aware and coming back and being aware and coming back. Yeah. And it absolutely is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think um, a couple of things just to kind of drop into this conversation at this point like coaching is an amazing way to practice presence mm-hmm. like it, it is a meditation i you know i always think why do i feel more energized after coaching sessions often i think partly it's the same reason people feel more energized after after a mindfulness exercise or, or meditation because in a lot of ways it's a relational presence thing because we're constantly bringing our attention back to the person in front of us or and or to our whole experience I also just think that you've pointed to the, it was just such a useful, it's such a useful thing to know that the practice to, of presence essentially is bringing yourself back. I just think it's like that needs to be emphasized because what used to happen a lot for me before I heard someone saying that, um, and I, uh, yeah, I wrote an article about it once because I think it also has something about, about habits. So it's like, it's almost true of every habit that, that actually the way you practice the habit is to, um, uh, when you realize you're not doing the habit to come back and do the habit. And that's, that's how, and that, how in the end you end up doing the habit. Um, but it was, but it was, it's really important to know that the, um, I think it was, I think it was Tim Ferriss who said it, that the, the kind of thing, the rep of, of presence is bringing your attention back. If mm-hmm. you keep practicing, bringing your attention back in the end, you end up doing it less. And if you're coaching, that can be to the person you're speaking to. It can be to your experience, um, it can be to, to something else if you're doing a meditation practice. And then the last thing I just thought that was just great that you said is it doesn't mean that you don't think or have thoughts. Mm-mm. The distinction between uh, thinking and being in your head is I just think yeah, that's really different. important. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it is, it, there is an act, there is stuff happening. It's there. So to, I don't know if we can really push it away completely necessarily, but to be aware, you know, but, but there is a, I was thinking about that. I mean, there, there are, there's stuff that happens, but what's the difference? It's not about me. Maybe, I don't know. It's about this person. It's about, and also with coaching, it's not about me fixing them or, or solving things for them. I mean, even though I do have 
coaching clients where um, I mix coaching with training because that's part of um, what, what the agreement. And, you know, so I, I have to be very clear when I'm doing what and how. Um, but at the same time, that, that full attention is very active. It's not a passive process. It's very intense. And um, this, the space that you're, you're kind of like holding the space for that person and, and it's connected to the world out there that they're trying to work through, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, one thing if, for those of you who like some facts and figures, I'm like, I hope I get, I probably have to pull up my charts for listening <laughs> to get the exact numbers. Um, but our, we speak slower than what we think or what we can take in. So people will speak slower than what people can take in. Let's say we can speak around 200 words a minute and we take in 450, which is why you can um, fast or speed up the podcast. Yeah, I suspect because we have a long podcast at the Coach's Journey that lots of people listen to it on (laughs) 1.5 speed. (laughs) And you can still take it in. So we can do that. So just being aware, that means that when um, someone's speaking to you and you're coaching, your mind will probably wander because there's that space. We can take in more. So that person is speaking slower than what you can take in, and therefore our mind will wander. And that's why it will happen. And the same thing when you're speaking to someone, instead of getting angry at them, just know their mind will wander. It's just part of how our brains work. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Just know that it will happen. And therefore, they may not catch everything that you said. And therefore, if there's something, it's if you go into, now this is not coaching, but if you go into a meeting or you have, you have a specific intention, be very clear about that. So you make sure that at least that one thing that you want everyone to take away with that it's somehow in a visual or it's said or written down or, or you check to see if they really know how to put it into practice, whatever it is that you're very clear about that. The other thing is that um, we think like a lot more than what we say, right? This is why you like doing the longer podcast, because after a period of time, you're getting more into the, you know, the the good stuff, because Mm -hmm. often we're thinking a lot more than what we say. And so if you, have you ever had a situation where you said, well, I told you that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. It could have been that you thought it, but you actually never spoke it out loud. Um, because often in a conversation, we're interrupting each other and then we're breaking the thought process. So we never have a chance to really reflect back what we just said. And so we don't know what we just said. And the coaching though, so as a coach, by you being fully present and really listening and giving that space, then it allows your client to listen to themselves. Then they're able to listen to themselves. And that's when it gets to the good stuff. And that's getting into what's in that head and clearing it out. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like, okay, we're like, we're about to bridge. And of course, you know, a big part of your work is listening and we're kind of in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do, I just wanted to catch, like, I just think, again, it's like a thing that you said that I think is really wise and just important to know, especially when you're, because there's a, there's stages of, of expertise in everything and there's stages of expertise in coaching. And, and one of them is, I think one of the, the, the big shifts is this one that we've talked about, which is the shift from doing a lot of thinking in your coaching when you're coaching somebody to doing almost no thinking when you're coaching um, people. But that doesn't mean that the thinking is, is bad. It doesn't mean that if your mind wanders, that's bad. Right. And 
it's important, I think, like that that thing we were talking about before about bringing your att- my attention back, being the the rep, if you like, of, of mindfulness or presence, is really important because the alternative to that is that when I when you find your mind wandering, when I find my mind wandering, I beat myself up about it. Mm-hmm. And that just takes my mind further away from presence. And actually just to accept, ah, of course my mind will wander. That's a part of being human. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, like a, and, and the kind of evidence you just spoke about, or the, the kind of the example of the number of words per minute is, is, is so useful um, for that. And, and the other thing is it, you know, we sometimes just to, just to say it again, like we're all quite practiced thinkers, or well, most of us are in in the kind of people who have been through what we might call a European or an American um, you know education system are mostly trained at thinking and 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 not much else. Uh, and, no, so, I think lately that's been a little critical too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, it's not like that. I'm sure you can do better thinking than you get from those education systems. But it's like just we're not like certainly not trained in then memorizing versus thinking. We need to yeah, work more on the. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, maybe that's that's a better way of putting it. But if we're taught anything through those systems, it's certainly not using our presence. Yeah. Um, and that, but that means that we're often good at thinking. And mm-hmm. so we shouldn't dismiss that if your mind wanders, like that's an interesting part of what's happening. It's like, <laughs> is your mind wandering because the the person you're listening to's mind is wandering? Is your mind wandering to something that's really useful? Um, or is it just that you are thinking about your lunch and you want to bring your attention, <laughs> attention back? Or they say a word that triggers and all of a sudden it brings back a memory or, you know, there's lots of stuff. Um, so a question that comes up, you know, what happens if I do notice and I've just, I lost track what that person was saying. Yeah. This, this is a question that comes up and a couple ideas could be that you say, sorry, I, I just, uh, I just had a thought and it took me off track. I missed out on what you just said. You know, can you um, say it again? It's okay to do that. And it's okay to role model that so that they know it's okay to do that with other people. So people are so afraid to say that they missed out on something, but once you, um, role model that, then they're more likely to do it. So to role model that because it's actually what happens. So well, it also builds <laughs> trust, doesn't it? it, it yeah. Cause it's like, um, if, if Raquel has told me she, her mind wandered there, I can count on her to tell me if her mind wanders, which means that when she's not telling me her mind wanders, I'm more I know present. she's listening. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really care and I'm interested, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to listen. Um, the second thing you could do, depending on the situation, especially if someone is, um, talking a lot, even though I don't necessarily believe the coach has to understand everything, but if you feel like you want to understand something, you can always ask, you know, that was a lot. Could you, would you be able to describe it in another way? Or could you share it? Or could you say that in, in another way? I want to make sure that I understood, you know, you can, you can use that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, if someone's spoken loads and your mind's wondered, it's good to get them to give you the bottom line sometimes. Right. That's can you just a, give like, a summary and a, can you just summarize that? If you were to summarize that in two sentences, what would it be? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause it's like a bit like we were talking about before it's doing that in the playful, non-judgmental way, which is like, ah, you know, it could be either saying reasonably playfully and unashamedly, ah, my mind just wandered there. Really sorry about that. Can you tell me? Or it could be, wow, you said a lot there. Like, you know, not judging them for saying a lot, because like you said, they may have just been doing the important listening for them, listening to themselves that they never get the space to do anywhere. Yeah. But that was a lot like what's the most what's the bottom line of that? What's the most important thing that you could say or that, that you said there? Yeah. So, so Raquel, like. We're kind of in it, but I do want to, like, rewind a little bit because it, you know, now your work, if people Google you, if they 
listen to your podcast, which people should definitely do. It's, it's lovely to be speaking to you today because I've been listening to your podcast in the last few days. So it's like, it's like, I feel like I've been hanging out with you, which is of course one of the great things about podcasts. But it's like, now I'm actually talking to Raquel. Isn't this fun? The podcast called Listen In. Um, and it enables you to say some really fun things um, about listening in as part of the intros and that kind of thing, which I really, I really love that little, some really elegant little things that you say. But so people find you now, they, they will they will find you and see very clearly that listening is the center of your work. But it sounds like that wasn't how you first came to coaching. So did coaching come first and then listening as the focus for the work came second or, or how did that? How did I that think listening has been with me from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that but- gives me a great chance Raquel to ask you a question, which I hope you'll agree is a good question, which is what is the first moment that you noticed the power of listening? <laughs> uh, whether that was worked or it didn't work. And for listeners who haven't listened to Raquel's podcast yet, that's a question she quite, <laughs> a great question that she quite often asks her guests. I probably noticed what, you know, that's a good, I, I've been thinking about that a long time. So my, 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 uh, my answer has probably evolved and changed <laughs> because of that. But probably if I, if I'm real about the first time I noticed it, it was probably when I was not listened to. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to be someone who, um, yeah, I kind of would do what other people, people would say. (laughs) And, um, I think it was in college when I had a relationship, a boyfriend and it went and kind of went, was going crazy. That was at the point where I went someplace. I can't remember what, and where I learned how to really listen to myself and what was important to me and to get clear about that and to say my truth no matter what the consequences were. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I did that was like so scared and I did it. And then the person was like, okay, with whatever I said, I'm like, Oh, this works. And that's when I found that I could say things where I was a little bit afraid to say, but I knew it was my truth. And I said it, and then it was listened to and taken in. And that was from not being listened to, to being listened to. And, you know, in those types of situations, um, even though, um, I just I just had a TED talk come out in just this this last month, and that was an interesting process because in doing that, the first version I wrote had nothing to. I didn't write anything about myself. I'm not used to talking about myself, and they're like, no, "This is about your story." This I know it's, it's, it must be it must be difficult to be. And you know, it's funny because one of the podcast episodes <sighs> I listened to of yours was with uh, my really good friend Colin Smith, who's called the listener. That's his 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 line. And you asked, said a great thing to him, and I instantly thought that is definitely going to be true of Raquel when she's on the podcast next week, um, because you said something to him like, but of course you're the listener, Colin, that's his, his kind of like tag. And now you're doing a lot of talking. And so it is, I, I get that it's like, and most of us who, most of us who end up doing something like coaching, you know, practice the skills that lead us to being good at, at coaching by not talking about ourselves in different situations. Um, and so it's, yeah, I get it's not usual. So, so, you know, thanks for, for doing the unusual. <laughs> the but unusual I think it's talking. also important where there's some give and take. So uh, having both sides, so you don't have to be someone who's talking all the time, but people do want to get to know it. So I'm learning, I'm learning that. Right. Yeah. Um, so that process helped me to really start thinking about, you know, this listening piece and in my life and that, and that it became very clear to me that, that the listening to the waves and, you know, when we camping on the beach really made a huge impact on my listening now. So that's probably a start. I also grew up between two different cultures. I grew up between Puerto Rico and Ohio. And so for me, it was normal that my culture, my world would change from one, from summer to school, you know, it was very different once I was nine. And 
that was just normal for me. So I automatically knew that there was different perspectives and approaches in terms of how people looked, saw the world. And I didn't see that as different. I just thought, okay, just that's how it is. Right. And coming from divorced parents, you know how that is. So I probably also played mediator role. If I look back, that probably also had a little bit of impact on my listening. And what a lot of people don't know is, well, my, my, the, my community in Ohio, they know this. Um, I, I've taught at university for a lot of years, but before I moved to Germany, I also had my own business in the US and I did massage, medical massage therapy. <laughs> that was also one of these serendipity kind of situations. And that was the first time I learned how to listen beyond words. Mm. I learned to listen through my hands. I learned if someone says they had a pain here, I took that in, but in the end, it could be, it could have been that the problem was someplace else. And so that um, I'm sure that has impacted a lot of what I do now, where I, even in my listening training, I really have people get in tune also with their feelings, with their body, what, how we, inter- how we, how each interaction impacts us. And that comes a lot from there. That's probably why I like movement <laughs> um, to, to start listening beyond the words, because there's so much more gold beyond the words. There's so much more gold beyond the words. Um, And then even fast forwarding the coaching, the coaching was a new experience for listening for me because I had never experienced listening in that manner, which is. Yeah. What was new about that? Where um, I think having being a coach and having listening structures that helped support that person work through their stuff. So I'm not needing to, I don't need to listen to understand. I'm just holding that space and listening and asking questions so they can take care of their own Mm. stuff. (laughs) So that was, that was a new, that was new for me because beforehand I was listening to get information. So I knew what to do some, you know, what I needed to do with it, whether it was teaching, whether it was, um, you know, business, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So many places we could kind of yeah. dive in on there, Raquel, but while you mentioned it, um, and yeah, like the, the, for people like the, the Ted talk, right. Let's let, I'd love to talk just a little bit about that. Um, people should check it out. Um, there's a, like people who like people who, especially people who liked the feeling that they got from you telling the story about the sunset will love <laughs> the opening of the Ted talk. Um, it's really beautiful opening where you talk about the waves. Um, but I wondered, like, uh, interestingly, what I'm interested in more is like you and doing a, a TED talk and how that, whether was that something you'd wanted to do for a long time and how you prepared and what it means to you? Yeah. Mm, I have a good friend of mine, and actually this is also <laughs> a good friend of uh, Vera's, uh, through our listening community, a lot of the work I've done with listening, I've met wonderful people. It's a great way to meet really cool people. Just saying, <laughs> just saying, um, to talk about listening, you meet amazing people. And through this, this, uh, work, um, I've gotten to become close to a lot of different people. One of the, one of those people used to be someone I worked with in the chemical industry. She was in human resources. I was in corporate communications. We managed change projects together, but we didn't really know each other. And it wasn't until after we both left the company that by chance we came across each other in a community called um, Presencing, the Presencing Institute with Otto Scharmer and ULab. I don't know. We can, th- there's a lot going on there. Anyway, yeah, yeah. so that's where we came across each other. And 
Um, and we've gotten to become really close friends and she does amazing work in organizational design. And she's like, when she's so clear, <laughs> she's what's, so, what's her name? Who's, Jody who's, Golden. Oh, I never said uh, Jody Golden. She, she, uh, she's yeah. An amazing, amazing um, person. Now she's doing consultancy work. She works in Europe and in the U S she's, she just moved to the U S there anyway, um, because her husband is a professor and got a job out there. So I miss her in Germany, to be honest, but I'm happy where she's at. So Jody is also a TED Talk coach. When she was in Würzburg, she, I don't know even how she started doing that, but she started coaching uh, TED, TEDx speakers. And in our listening work together, we were part of a few projects together. She's like, you know what? You should do a TEDx talk on that. And she even worked with me in a few sessions to put some ideas together like a year before that. But I I don't know. I wasn't, it just didn't flow yet. I, I kind of looked up to see, Oh, where, where could I do it? And where should I apply? But I never actually did anything. Then last year, a year ago, she just sent me this link from Nuremberg. She's like, Raquel, they're starting a TEDx there. You should apply. And that happened to be on a Sunday when nobody was at home. I was by myself and I had time <laughs> And so I sat down and I went through the application and it just flowed out. It was just in that presence flow. It just came out. And I had that application done. I had a video done within an hour. It just came out. It was like one of those things, those flow moments. Um, and they took me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That was my process. <laughs> Love it. And what was the, are you a, how do you feel about public speaking? And is it so, you know, some people really don't like it. Some people love it. Where were you before and how do you, it's the Ted talks only recently come out, I think. In the yeah, last, it, just, it just came out. Mm -hmm. Like, but so how is it, what's it like to have that out there? Does it feel good? Yeah, it feels great. It was a lot of fun. It was really good. I have taught public speaking for many years uh -huh. at the university. And I also was mentored lots of leaders um, behind the scenes when I was working in the chemical industry. So I was kind of the behind the scenes person preparing people for this. And of course I've taught a lot, but in terms of having a talk that you work on that you have to memorize for that long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't done, that was my first, well, I've done yeah, my first bigger stage of doing something like that, because normally when I've done um, talks in, in, um, keynotes. My keynotes are more experiential. So I'll do stuff, but I'm kind of facilitating people listening to each other. I'm, I'm talking some, but it's intermittent with experiential activities. That's what I've done more of to actually go up on stage and only talk and not facilitate also was a new experience for me because normally I'm doing both. Yeah. And so yeah. the attention was only on me. Normally I have the attention, you know, it's with all of you too. <laughs> and again, it's the, like the, the speaker listener. Piece yeah. is an interesting, like, um, it's interesting as somebody who does a lot of listening. Yeah. And like, I, yeah, I totally get it. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're with a big group, like one way to, to communicate with them is to speak with them. But another way, and I've heard you talk about this on, on your podcast, particularly with something like listening, it's like talking about listening is not a very good way of teaching listening right. <laughs> or, or even getting people to, you know, have a new perspective on listening right. and an incredibly useful way. And anyone who's done a coach training will remember, uh, or most people who've done a coach training will, will remember an exercise where they just had to listen for the first time. And if it wasn't them, because maybe the, the, somebody in the room will have gone, 
well, that was kind of amazing. You know, I've never had anyone listen to me in that way before. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. because it is such an unusual thing. But yeah, and most people think they're pretty good at it already or they do yeah. all right. And then they're always surprised at how hard it is or how um, it's so much bigger than what they realize at first. I think those are the two mm. big, big things that, like, I once had an engineer in one of my workshops say, you know, I used to think listening was a waste of time if it wasn't about content. But now I found out it's so much more. And I'm going to go home and listen to my wife. I'm like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the truth. More at work, more at home, you know. <laughs> so. yeah. I can't remember whose story this is. I might have told it on the podcast before, but there was a there was a great story about somebody sending people. Who was it? I can't remember. It, like sending people to listen, like as a, as like a, a you know, they were doing two days of workshops and that the, the the ta- assignment for for overnight was to find someone and listen to them, and like this person's, this guy's wife was like, "What's wrong with you? Why? <laughs> what are you? What are you doing? What's happened? Where's my husband?" Because yeah. it's like so unusual for him so to just unusual. you know yeah. be there for I don't know however long, probably not even that long, you know, a few yeah. minutes of uninterrupted listening. Yeah, I had one a story like that too, where they started listening and their spouse was like, "Are you okay? What's yeah. wrong?" and I, I like it, but what's wrong? So even if someone responds like, is this my husband, you know, or is this my wife? Just, just hang in there. They may not admit they like it there because they're afraid it won't happen again. <laughs> so yeah. just stick with it. <laughs> well, because people like what they're used to. Right. And it is a bit like having your coach throw you a little playful exercise mid through a session that may not be instantly comfortable, but it doesn't mean that it's not really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And it can go both ways, but you have to sometimes structure it. I find that structure helps us because um, we are human patterns <laughs> break through so easily. So creating structures, like, you know, you get five minutes, I get five minutes, seem very silly, but they make such a difference in the world, yeah. really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'd be, you know, it'd be interesting um, to talk about how we might do that with, or, or you know, less in, less in coaching, I, I suppose, and and how you how we might do that in meetings, you know, in all these other interactions in our in marriages, and how do we create those structures? Because I think that is another part of, you know, you, you you mentioned it about coaching. One of the interesting things about coaching is it creates a structure for, which then creates the space for transformation in, in different mm-hmm. ways. And there are different parts of that structure. Um, mm-hmm. And one of them is I'm not, you know, I get to, I have permission to not listen to understand or to respond or anything like that, to just listen for the for the purposes of helping that other person. Um, but before we ask questions about that, if we do come back to it, like when did you realize that listening was going to be the thing that you were going to work on? Hmm. Um, some, a few years ago, I think it was 2016, um, when um, there was elections in the U S mm. and so at that time, I was already using and facilitating a lot of listening, and I saw its power, and I was using it for different topics, but I wasn't talking about it at the time. I just saw that it worked and was and played with it in, in group um, training, one-on-ones, through coaching. When the elections were going on and you know, I heard people were making decisions based on the fact that they did not feel heard. I thought, oh gosh, if only people knew what was possible 
And at that point in time, I decided to see how to give listening more of a voice to start talking about it because I hadn't done that before. So people were feeling and experiencing the magic of the listening, but I didn't point out that it was listening. Listening was the reason why they experienced that. And since they were clear, they were just thinking about whatever they were thinking about. They weren't thinking about the process, you know, the met, looking at it from the meta process, um, the meta cognitive learning wasn't happening. And so I decided to change that. And, you know, these serendipity things, right. That I made that decision, but I had a hard time knowing how to focus because there's deep listening. There's active listening. There's this nonviolent communicate. There's all this stuff. And I already studied a lot. And I thought, I didn't want to focus on one area because that restricted me too much. And I didn't like that. I'm like, ah, you know, um, and there's a lot of different types of listening and there's reasons to use different types at different times. Not that one's better than the other. It's just, there's different ways of listening. And I didn't want to, I I felt too restricted. I didn't want to be put into a box. Right. So one evening, I think it was the end of October, beginning of November, I woke up in the middle of the night and the word listening alchemy was there in my mind. Now, I don't know much about alchemy, but for me, that opened up a whole new door. I thought, oh, it's it's going from a metal that has, you know, is not that pure. You know, what can we do to make something pure and where the gold is, right? And the listening that allows that purification to, so that we are able to have that gold. It's also a mixture of science and there's also some intuitive. It's an art and a science. How does that all work together? Right. And with alchemy, it's a, a constant process. There's never and like a never ending process where you can always evolve, we can always grow. So that particular word opened up the possibility and the space for me to not have to put myself in a box and to be able to play, to experiment, to try things out, to see what really works when it works, how it works, what are the conditions? And that was at the point where I, that name came up to me and right like the week after I had a friend of mine in the Netherlands, Maria Jose, thank you very much. Who called me and said, Raquel, come and do a workshop. What kind of workshop do you want to do? And I said, well, how about listening alchemy? (laughs) And so I, that's something about reaching goals. I just put it on the calendar. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew I had this workshop in the Netherlands that I was going to try. Then as soon as that happened, I had this email from another friend in the Netherlands who I had talked to. I'd met at a, a world cafe. I talk about her in the TED talk. And she's like, I have this friend who specializes in listening. And I didn't know people specialized in listening at the time. And so she sent me his, his she said he just did this research. And I contacted him to talk about this research. In his research, he talks about this particular article was that when we listen with full attention, no judgment, with empathy, empathy, that the person you're who is speaking will become less extreme in their ideas, will um, be more open to seeing the pros and cons. They have you know more complex thoughts. Um, and therefore, um, you're able to, they're like more likely to, instead of persuading you, they're more likely to express themselves as a more creative process and therefore change themselves and become less extreme. And because of all the stuff that's happening in politics and people not being heard, this was a very critical piece of research because why are people getting so extreme? Because nobody's listening to each other. We're doing the opposite. We're doing the opposite. 
right? And so this was, so anyway, I reached out to him. We had a great conversation. We played a lot and I integrated this into my workshop. And that was like the start. And then I went to the US for Thanksgiving. Some, I had friends. I said, hey, would, do you know people who might be interested in this? I'm just trying this out in Netherlands. They had a group of 20 you know, married couples, business owner, married couple types. <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, and then I had my students right after that. So I did like four workshops within like a month <laughs> of yeah. that just happening. Yeah. Yeah. That and, was the start. I mean, again, so much in there, but it, you know, there's a, there's an important thing I think that people don't know. And it took me quite a long time to, I learned it from one of my coaches really or from the work that we did together. The, the, the amazing thing about the work that, that, that we do is you can just make it up. Right. And like, it appeared for you listening out to me and like, I'd love, like, it, I love that story because it speaks to this thing we've been speaking about in this whole conversation so far about presence and trusting the things that emerge and, you know, there it is. And not only is it there, but it's got all those beautiful aspects to it, which make it make total sense. And it's also mm-hmm. like, again, you're in a beautiful metaphor. Um, and I'd like to just point something out there, but I'm, as you're speaking I, and listening to me, I realized that that process was a combination of me really listening to myself. And at what point in time, you know, did things start to align listening to myself to get clear, you know, holding that space. Then when opportunities arose, listening to the opportunities. Yeah. But then they, there they were. And, and because you'd named that thing and you took yeah. that gamble with the the first workshop, it's like, great and sometimes it's it's fun to do that and it doesn't have to be you don't have to run a workshop the first time but if people have an an idea about how they want to talk about their work just try talking about it and you did it in that story you did it like with your friend in the Netherlands then you did it when you were back at Thanksgiving it's just like I'm interested in this thing at the moment you know and there's an, another opportunity and I love that I I also like you know you could probably see on my face the kind of the insight so I knew some of that I've, I've read of the research, you know, about if you really want to change someone's mind, if you want to have an, you know, a difficult conversation, mm-hmm. you know, I loved it when I first read difficult conversation, you know, books, because they, they start the first two chapters in them is do coaching. Essentially. It's like, listen really, really well, and then ask some questions. And if you want people to change their minds, that's the best way to do it. I hadn't made that reverse connection that you've just made, which is, or, or maybe the, the article you, you read made, which is, we get less extreme. And so the reason that we're more extreme is, is, is because there isn't much listening. Yeah. So the listening, the, what, the, what listening does and the research, it's amazing. If people only knew this is so, this, it's so important. There's so much gold here to mine. Yeah. <laughs> but what the listening does is the listening creates the psychological safety. When people feel safe, that's when they shift from this persuasion to this expression, then they're actually able to hear themselves. And we always have conflicting messages in our own minds, but we don't hear it. And then it's through that listening to that, that then it kind of changes and gets clear and comes to a, probably something that's less extreme. Right. Um, and so that's part of the process. So the listening piece is the piece that creates the safety. It's the process to get there. Um, when people feel safe, then they have feel trust, right? Then they're able to get more creative. <laughs> um, they're able to think more clearly. 
And they make better decisions because they're able to see different perspectives. They hear the different perspectives in their own mind, which are there, and they're more likely then to receive from somebody else afterwards. You know, so there's a there's really a lot there. But listening is like the the action point. And I love what you said about questions. The questions are so important. And I in one of my podcasts with Niels van Kwakabeka, he's really he's a professor in Hamburg. He did research on asking questions and they thought asking questions, um, well, they were looking at teams and bad apples and they thought that questions neutralized bad apples. So -hmm. then they did a whole other research um, project and they couldn't find anything on asking questions, which was a bomb. But what ended up, they ended up finding out later is that it wasn't the asking questions. It was the listening after. So the questions are the spark, but if you don't listen after you're going to have the opposite effect as the intended effect. Therefore, don't ask a question unless you're really ready to listen. Imagine someone, you know, think of people who've asked you questions and then they're not listening afterwards. What does that do to you? You don't want to do that to other people. So just to pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, if we're thinking about coaching as a craft, it's like, how do people, you know, if you were starting out coaching, when you, when you, when people are starting out coaching, when you know, we're like, how do you know which question to ask? Yeah. How do I know which is the right question? Well, the way to know that is to be really listening. Mm-hmm. And of course you need some spark for the start of the conversation, but you know, again, cause I've been, cause we've been, Mike and I have been um, running some coach training. It's been interesting to, to, to really get into that. What's the foundational piece of this? And it, it feels pretty obvious that it's listening, that without listening, none of coaching would work. Whereas, you know, without, there's an extent to which without, even powerful questions, a lot of the impact of coaching would still be possible. Um, but I think it does get to something interesting, which is like um, when we're, uh, if we're thinking about listening, in almost no situations will listening be the only thing that you do. No, you know, no. And, it, and so it's like it's probably <laughs> worth saying something. You know, yeah. we can we can keep diving on listening. I'm, I'm sure we will. But it's probably worth. I'm curious from your research you know in all the different ways the podcast the work that you've done how do you think about if we're going to have really successful conversations I guess might be a way of of talking about it what's important about what we say Mm -hmm. well see here's the thing you know I have people say well if I'm listening you know isn't you know they think that's only listening and there's a, a fear that I won't be heard there's this huge or I won't be seen this is really huge Um, The first thing I would say is be very intentional about what's your purpose in that conversation. And there are times where maybe you don't really have to say anything and it's okay. Um, But often, but when, but the reason why you listen first is because then when you do say something, then it actually connects to what is happening in that situation. So perhaps the, then that the question that you ask is helping that person think further Then it connects with a really powerful question because it's, it's taken from what you've just listened, you know, what you've just listened to. And, or when you do say something like in a, in a meeting, maybe you are, you notice the connections that nobody else notices because they aren't listening to each other. So you're able to make the connections or you're able to, um, ha- you, an idea comes up to you that you are, that you pull out of what's happening, that people don't connect with because they're too busy competing with each other, right? So your contribution is much higher. And the research shows that people who listen, people who listen actually perform better 
So like sales, salespeople sell more when they listen because they really listen to what's important to the customer. And then they know how to speak with them in a way that the customer can listen to them. The same thing with negotiators. Some of the the best negotiators are the ones that listen because they're listening to what's not being said. They're listening to what's really the interest or what's, you know, what's the context, what's important, not only to the company, but to the person who's negotiating in that very moment. Right. So they're going beyond that. And then when they do negotiate, then they have more impact. So just because you're listening doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but that's, you know, there's a connection there. Um, Also there's, research that shows that directors that listen to teachers, the students get better grades. Why is that? Because then the teachers feel like they're listened to, they feel calm, their needs are taken care of, and then they are able to be more present with their students, right? So there's a lot of action. Don't underestimate the power of your listening, even if you don't see it in that very moment. That's one thing. And the second thing, it's not... um, always important that you say something, but when you do say something that it, it connects, you know, think about the relationship in that situation. Are we moving us forward? Is it supporting the process? Am I open to different ways of thinking, you know? So, and we'll mess up. So you're going to mess up every day. I mess up every day, especially with my teenager. So just that's where you start over again and again and again. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like one of the things I heard in there. And and again, this is um, for people who listen regularly, like there was a great conversation, part of the conversation I had with a guy called Miles Downey. And he said for coaches, I think he said it, it might've been something that I read in this book in preparation for that conversation was that for coaches, for coaches as well, but I hear it in your, com- in what you've said about, about really all conversations. It's like, when you say something, what's your intention mm-hmm. in saying it and being careful mm-hmm. with that. And mm-hmm. what I heard from, from you there is, it's possible to have intentions in what you say, which are about developing the relationship or contributing to the meeting or, and you can have that going in, but also you never know what's going to happen. And you can still check, you know, check yourself. Like what's my intention mm-hmm. for saying this now? So you might go into a situation and maybe your intention is only to build trust with this person. And that's, you can do that through listening. So that might be the most important piece. And it could be that part of that is also sharing a little bit of yourself so that it's like, you know, you both know each other. So listening to yourself to be clear (laughs) about um, what you need, but also listening to see what the needs are of the other person. And is it just about building trust? Is it about getting information so I can do my job better? Is it about, I don't know, helping this employee get more engaged in their own (laughs) stuff, you know, their own work, you know, what is it? What is that? And I had uh, recently, um, after one of the communication work, I do communication workshops at, at organizations, but a big part of that, there's a listening piece in there. And I had one person tell me that they would go to meetings and they would basically keep trying to figure out where they're going to get their message in there. You know, they had, they knew they wanted to say something. So trying to, they spent more time trying to think of when I can, when can I jump in? Right. And it was stressful. It's like physically stressful to do that. And so after they realized the listening piece was so powerful and they took time to listen, they actually were a lot more relaxed and they um, took in whatever was being talked about and they were able to contribute more than they were beforehand. And people appreciated that. And we've done some research on some of my workshops. Some of the results are just the researcher guy, Ichakov. He's also, I interview him in one of the podcasts. He's done research on some of my workshops and 
the results should be coming in now this month, hopefully. Um, but just to, we did a brief glance at what might be showing up and these were workshops with mixed people. So they weren't people in teams. It was just, it was in the same company, but just a mix of people. And um, in general, they evaluated themselves as better listeners afterwards, which, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But what was really interesting is that even though they did not feel listened to better by their team members, but we didn't do team workshops. So that makes sense. They did feel more belonging in the company and they felt like they had more voice. They didn't feel listened to it more in their team, but they felt like they had more voice in the company. Now, I don't have the answers to why that is, but I think that's really interesting that you feel more belonging and you have more voice in the company, even if you don't necessarily feel listened to in your team more. That's, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. take a moment to let that sink in. (laughs) It's so interesting. I mean, like you say, like, that's the next phase of research that you need to do, Raquel, with this colleague. Like, it's like, why? I mean, there is a... You know, there is a way in which it does make sense to me, but this is like, um, you know, this is not research. But I can imagine that, you know, there is a way in which if the company has said, come, come, go to this workshop. And at the workshop, the you've been listened to. And so you felt like you have more voice. Like I can imagine that there is a, there could, there would be, it could be a perspective shift there. Even I guess though, the question would be, even though, let me, I'm going to well, no, interrupt go. for a second though. The, the evaluation was not done immediately after the workshop. Ah, well, that's good because that's better. Like the, right. the thing I was about to say was <laughs> I'd be interested to know what would happen in six, you know, over the longer term, because yep. you would, you might expect that as a tick in the week after the workshop, but, and, and one of the, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that coaching is growing is because it is a longer term in intervention than a, even a, even a training course over a number of months, right? What happens a year after that? Um, how is it embedded? Are people doing stuff in between? So, okay, great. So, so that it wasn't, wasn't immediately afterwards. Yeah. In fact, I would imagine that if it were immediately afterwards, they would think they were worse listeners than better uh-huh. ones because they've just experienced that they're not as good as what they think. Right. Yeah. Um, no, this, the, the, we usually measured people afterwards, depending on the group between uh, two weeks and a month after depending on the group. And um, because it's interesting to look, is there impact over time? Yeah. And that's some of the research that's happening is looking at more long-term impact. There's not that much research out there that does that yet. Ah, interesting. And is this, so uh, <laughs> I asked our friend Vera to send me some questions to ask you. And Uh-oh. actually it was your suggestion. And one of the <laughs> things that she said to ask about was your collaboration with Hebrew University. Is that the work that we're talking about now or is that something different? Uh, yes, yes and no. So, so the Hebrew University, that's with my mentor, Avi Kluger. And he's the one that actually my, was my door opener into a lot of this work um, that we do now. So he is still a mentor and he has a huge, he's had a huge influence on my, on my work and they are just powering out research right now. So I learn a lot from this and I'm like a, a little bit of a, uh, nerd when it comes yeah. to reading that stuff. I'm like, oh, like a little kid, it's Christmas. Yay. Another paper's out. <laughs> um, so, so we have things that happen in projects and that have come up and stuff. We've done some stuff together and we're in constant contact. Yet one of his PhD students, Guy, is not part of Hebrew University anymore. He now is at the Haifa University, 
I have to say if I say that right. Now he's a professor at a different university, even though they collaborate mm. a lot. And Guy is the one that's doing this research. So it's not specifically with Hebrew University, but he used to be a PhD student at Hebrew University. And they have some great, great work coming out. In fact, Guy has a project with another lady with the Templeton Foundation, where they're doing research on listening right now, which is really exciting to see that they their project was accepted there. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, you said there's there are, you know, the, the example you just gave, there's not a lot of that kind of research being done. Like, how has research into, do you, I mean, you may not know this question, so it's a big question. How has research into listening evolved? And like, if there's that exciting work going on now, do you think there's a reason for that? Is it the same reason that you got that kind of spark to, you know, from things like the 2016 election? in the US, you know, is well, that why it's I think, happening now? Or? So with the, with the listening research, um, so Avi Kluger started doing a meta-analysis and what he found was there, he couldn't find listening research at first when he first got interested in it many years ago. Um, but if you look across a lot of different areas, there's bits and pieces of listening research across all areas, you know, from decision-making to negotiation to sales and this. So he started gathering all the research he could find. And last I heard in his meta-analysis were over 910 correlates. There might be more. And since then, um, they also uh, have done a lot more research. So even since I first started to now, there's a lot more coming out in the last couple of years than there was even before. And they're starting to also look at different types of listening training to find out what type of training is um, might be more beneficial for different types of situations. They're looking in things like that, but you know, science takes time. And um, uh, so we just have to be more patient, but there's a lot coming out. They've done a lot of work over the last few years, and there's a lot more researchers also in the U S and different places that are more interested in this listening topic, which is making a difference on why it's growing. So, so far, uh, it's not well known, but there's a lot of impact. (laughs) So I hope that this will make a huge impact. And so if there's any people listening to this who work in organizations where they would like to have some, something done in an organization, the more research we can bring into organizations um, over time, then to see what the, the value is over time in terms of business outcomes, the more likely we're able to get it into organizational training because there's really not that much training and into education because business impacts education. And there's not a lot of listening to education out there. In fact, when I had a class in university, I had a two credit hour class where they would just play a recorder and we'd have to like listen to it and then answer questions to see if we remembered it. And that is like, that is not the powerful listening. <laughs> Active listening is not the powerful listening. Just rephrasing back, that's not the powerful listening. There's so it's it's good, but it's there's so much more. <laughs> yeah, and I know we've been talking about this, but because you kind of brought that there, like what is the powerful listening? Oh, I find that um this listening where where there's connection, where change is possible, where we're really changing ourselves in this moment, um, which also change what we do. It also impacts action and who we, and who we are. This is the, the, um, powerful listening. 
that change can be just feeling good afterwards versus stressed. That change can be getting clear about my next steps. That change can be that we are connecting and seeing and understanding each other as people, as human beings, and able to move forward beyond just the individual, right? So there's a lot of different ways. And I really believe that if we, I mean, that's a lot of individual situations, but the more we can impact at group level and then at a wider level, then then we can start having an impact at a systemic level. And that would be nice. And that's one of the things with the TED Talk, because the TED Talk's about having a big idea, right? It's not about having all the answers, is it? Even though some people do TED Talks that have answers, but mine was more about an idea, something bigger. And if we learn and practice how to really listen better. So the coaches are a huge part of this world of, of being catalyzers of listening. So you are a part of this, this movement of listening. If we're able to do more of that and people experience that, then imagine how we can shape the world. Imagine what would be possible then. When you do that imagining, like what what do you think will, if those shifts, as those shifts begin to happen, you know, as they happen more and more, what do you think are the most important things that will become possible? Well, from what I understand of what the research is and from my experience, I mean, we, when we listen to each other, we can get smarter. We're both, it's not, I'm smarter than you or you're smarter than me, but we're helping each other to um, think more clearly, to have more ideas um, maybe ideas that are connecting to a bigger picture, whether it's strategic to the planet. To, to so we're we're helping each other feel better, think better, but we also have ideas or think of um, solutions if you want to put in solu- solutions that are more connected to the bigger picture and um, is more inclusive. It's more inclusive. It's. Um, It's more like glue. It's connecting versus separating. And a lot of what's happening in terms of competition, it's separating versus, I mean, there's some healthy competition. I'm not, don't get me wrong, but what is something that moves us forward instead of this competition where we're pushing each other down? You know, how can we move ourselves forward and have a, have a, an impact, you know, and there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion and equity, which is so important. But a lot of this is just about listening to different voices and, and, uh, and valuing people and finding ways where we can all um, feel better and work and have some impact in our work, feel valued, have work that has value. I see so many people in the work environment that are totally stressed out. They're in that sympathetic mode, you know, they're like fight or flight. And if we can just shift that to more of this parasympathetic nervous system, think a little bit better, connect with each other, work in a healthier manner um, that will impact our health. It impacts our family life. It impacts our work life. Um, We're more open to maybe doing things that are good for the world. (laughs) That's what I would love to see more of. I mean that's pretty big, but yeah, it's possible. But, Things are happening. Things are happening. There are pockets of this happening. So we just need to have more of those bubbles happening, and then the bubbles merging. <laughs> because yeah. I think we need to do it together to have more impact. I think doing it in these small pockets is not enough. I think we need to come together and do it together to have more impact. Yeah, that's one of the things that feels nice about your podcast 
you know, it does feel like some of those bubbles coming together, obviously with you and, and not necessarily with each other at different times, the different guests, but, you know, from, docu- you know, there's a beautiful episode with the documentary maker, there's researchers on there, there's coaches, you know, there's, um, I've forgotten the name of the the guest who works in, you know, a, a Dutch woman who works, has worked in, has been the chief listening officer. Oh, hospitals. Corinne. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she's amazing an amazing episodes. person. Yeah. Um, you know, so it does feel like there's a sense of that. And, and also, I guess there's a sense, I think it, it might have been, um, it might have been, it's kind of what you were just talking about. It might have also been um, what, what one of the guests was saying um, on your show, which, you know, which is that like some of the research is doing that now. So it's happened in all these different, it's happened. It hasn't been listening research, even though listening has been researched, if that makes sense. It, but it now is more being brought together in that. And if, if mm-hmm. listening is the big part of that, that, you know, that is, that is so important. So if you bring it back to the coaches who are listening, realize that the work you're doing has more impact than you realize. And what if you have this in mind when you're actually coaching and to trust that process and what that person does once they leave the room and how they interact with the next person or what might happen, you know, in the group. So, and also coaches do group. I'm sure there's a group coaches, you know, here. So how do you facilitate listening within a group? right? And facilitate that they listen to each other. And this is really fascinating. And the collective intelligence that happens. And like we do a lot of listening circles, really great structures. And often I I do a very pure version where um, I online, we do a lot, I do most of my work online lately. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) But basically as a facilitator, I will call one name at a time and I'll stay in that order no matter what. And when I call your name, you have a few seconds to think, is there something that wants to be said? And if not, you can pass. Um, And there's four guidelines. First, that you listen or that you speak from the heart. So when you speak, that you really speak with what, from what matters to you, what's important to you from your own experiences, not from experiences of others, but your own experiences, that you listen from the heart, meaning that you're open, you're curious, that you might discover something new. You might change your mind. And if, you know, you get distracted, bring yourself back. And if you decide to only listen during the listening circle, that that has power that influences the group. The third thing is to not to rehearse ahead of time. So don't think about what you're going to say ahead of time. Just when it's your turn, you're allowed to take a few seconds to pay attention. Is there something that I want to say? And it's okay. And then the last one is to speak lean. You know, say enough, but don't keep going on and on because you'll lose people. People will not be able to listen to you if you keep going on and on. So it's partly respecting time, but also if you want to be listened to, then focus on what's really important. And you don't have to just say, oh, I agree with that other person. What moves the group forward, right? Um, So that listening circle, um, and you keep going until there's either nothing left to say or the time has run out. People are always so surprised at how relaxed they feel because those who talk a lot um, don't know that they're going to get their turn so they can relax and listen to others. Those who are quiet, maybe it takes a circle or two, but then when they're ready, they can say something, right? And everybody knows they'll get their turn and they don't have to respond right in that moment. And um, it it balances out actually who most people, it balances out the talk, you know, who's talking and who's listening. And it's much more relaxing. And people are often surprised at 
the value of the gold that comes out in that in that listing circle. Yeah. yeah. And how how do you like when you're running a listing circle? Are you running those in organizations? Does it tend to be with with groups outside of organizations? And how how do people use like I can for the for the big the big agenda that we've just been talking about, I can see how that is so powerful and the ripples will be there. But in a practical sense, how are people using those and and how are you I, I don't know, really strange for some reason the question has come <laughs> up, but trusting it, how are you selling them? Uh, I don't sell them. I just do. Well, I, maybe I do sell them. I don't know. I usually sell them through experiences. I give them the experience and that sells, it sells itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, if you Google listing circles, you will find loads of researcher research and resources out there. There's loads out there and everything from the thinking environment to, um, I have to think, I can see if I can find some resources if you want to add them here, but there's loads out there. For myself, I use them often and I have a lot of adaptations of them. So the very, the the formal one is the one where you go in the circle until there's nothing left to set. And and Guy is doing, has done research or is doing research on that type of training in organizations with teams where there's um, history and relationships where it's messy. And when he's done research on those messy situations in uh, under pressure situations like customer service and things like this, what he says is that, and I have a podcast where people can listen to this, is that often a listing circle to get to a point where nothing is left to set to be said can can take up to three hours, can which is a long time. I think that happens at first. Over time, once people know the process and get used to it, it will it gets less. But in the beginning, when things are messy, and yet people feel more belonging, they feel more heard, they have a better customer perspective. So there's a lot that happens, which are business um, outcomes. So if you want to sell it, then focus on the for to focus on the business outcomes. You know that's what the people selling it need to sell it for, right? Um, and it has a lot to do with making smarter decisions. If you get all the information, you know everyone's perspective, and then from there make a decision. Your decision is going to be better, um, more effective. This. There's a lot of research on, there was the research on Google Teams, you know, teams that were successful over and over and over were the ones that had psychological safety. And the two aspects that impacted that was number one was equal time taking. And the second one was empathy. So being in tune with the person's feelings. So what does equal time taking mean? That means that everyone has a chance to say what they need to say throughout the day. A listening circle can create that structure so that's possible if that's not happening. So that's a structure that can help that process until people feel comfortable and maybe do it on their own. What I found in when I'm doing circles, like if I do a workshop and I do a check-in or I do a checkout, I always try to find stuff where every voice is heard right in the very beginning and every voice is heard at the very end, even if it's just a couple sentences or a word or something. I try to do that. I also, I'm sorry, just to be really clear, cause I think that's it's, a lot of people okay. do that. I'm not sure. And I'm, I'm not sure I know the answer to this either, which is why I'm asking really, is that the reason that that is important is for creating psychological safety, the, 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 the whole circle? group check-in, the whole group check-out. Oh, that's a different, yeah. The, the check-in check-out, I think that does help with psychological safety. It also helps. I read somewhere and I don't know where I read this, that People don't feel like they're really present unless your their voice is heard. 
So if you can find a way for everyone's voice to be heard within the first, you know, 10 minutes, then they've landed. And in terms of at the end takeaways, um, I always ask for just one takeaway, even if they have multiple ones, because even if they have multiple ones and they just say the one, if you hear everyone's takeaway, it, it, you have the collective takeaway and it gets in a lot, you know, the whole perspective of the group and also the depth of what was taken from that meeting or from that workshop. So everyone's voice is heard and they hear each other. So maybe something that someone missed out on because they're, you know, thinking a lot more, they, someone else um, captured that. And then usually you have a much a deeper takeaway at the very end, if you do it that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it's uh, so good to hear, get into the detail and the intricacy of the listening circle, just to rewind a little bit, just to speak a little more about the one-to-one work that you do. And you talk so beautifully about the impact that coaches are having, right. By the, through those, you know, through the, the conversations, but also through the ripples. But I wonder in, in, you know, in terms of, he talks about changing ourselves by lis- through listening, but also changing what we do. And he talks about coaches, you know, having that in mind when coaching and trusting that process. Like, hmm, how do you do all of that in the coaching that you do? So how do I help people change in the coaching that I do or? Oh, yeah. Good question. So it's, it's always a good, um, whenever someone asks you what your question meant, it's always a good time to ask the question again, better, isn't it? You can also answer whatever question you want, Raquel. Um, but the question that I'm asking is maybe. So if you, if you are going to help the client that you're working with change themselves and change what they do, and you're going to have, what are the most important things to have in mind when you're coaching them? And, and use in mind, like loosely, given everything we've been saying. And also, you know, yeah, I guess, that, yeah, that's the question really. It's like, if, if a coach has been listening to this and is thinking, how do I do more of that? That mm-hmm. thing that Raquel's talking about. Okay. Where do they go with that? But, but to catch it, I think I'm most interested in, like, how do you do that? Okay. How do specifically? I do it? Specifically, yeah. Because I coach... I coach a wide variety of people, but I coach people who are just starting their profession all the way to CTOs. So I have a wide range of people who I coach, but they're all human. Everyone's human, right? And in general, I will ask people to think about, even though there's, they usually come with where they, what they want to work on. And often people come to me for communication coaching, communication leadership. They come for that reason. And yeah, I, I, you said that in your in something <laughs> you wrote. I'm considered a communication coach by the people you work with. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that 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 is just you know that doesn't and the way you're saying it now, it's like that's not how you're branding yourself. No, but really. that's how that's how that's kind of what's evolved. And so yeah, this is my communication coach. So this is even though a lot of topics around you know leadership, around even personal branding, around feedback. There's all you know all different areas or just time to think. But anyway, so. I have a wide variety. And even though there are certain areas they want to work on initially, I usually have them try to think of one to three questions or topics that they want to bring to the sec- session and where they want to focus to help them learn how to be prepared. With, with senior level people, that's usually not a problem. They're already doing some of that, but especially with more junior people, they're not 
they haven't had the experience yet and how to be prepared. But it also depends on the person. And some people are more structured and some people are more creative. So you have to work with what the person needs. And so my coaching sessions will also be adapted to that person. Some people who need more structure, I'll make sure there's more structure in there. For other people who just need space to need it more open, then I'm more open. So I'm very adaptable. But what I usually do is ask them where they want to focus their time and energy. And we'll start there. Sometimes we go in other directions or we recognize there's something more, but we that's a starting point. And I always end with, you know, what's the key takeaways? I always, those, that's something I always, I always do. So that there's something, so that they're, so it's anchored. So that whatever is their key takeaway, it's anchored and they know what they want to, it's anchored in terms of what they want to do or where they want to focus on afterwards, that they're very clear for themselves, because if they're clear, they're more likely to act on it. They're more likely to change if they are clear. If they're not clear, then I think it's because it's some um, this deep work. Sometimes we're thinking through things and we're, we don't, it's like a creative process. So how do you take that creative process where you've opened things up and then to pull out of that, the few things that they can focus on, right? So that's, that's something that I do a lot to move from big picture to action. And what's the next step? And some people will come, you know, oh, this big thing. And then you have to help them to have, you know, what's their next step, no matter if all this stuff is going on, right? <laughs> That's one thing. Um, you're asking me about what do I do? So I um, I take time to get fully present before. I look at my notes and I sometimes stretch. I'll take a walk, <laughs> but, I, but I, I get rid of all my distractions and I really... Um, make sure that I'm fully present in that moment. And so even when I'm scheduling appointments every so often, I have back-to-back, but I try to have a little bit of space in between. Um, And I make sure of that. So that presence is really important. When I'm coaching, I reflect back every so often what I've just heard so that they can also hear themselves. So it's their creative process. And I may reflect back first. I also will ask questions relating to what they said using their language, using what and how mainly, and what ifs. I don't usually ask why questions too often, unless they really want to focus on purpose. But in general, I focus on what and how. And when I notice that people are way into their heads, then I'll use some more intuitive types of things. So Lately, because people have been stressed out, I have used more often one of the tools for the transformational presence, which has people get clear about what's in their head, listening to their heart and listening to their emotions and to start separating that so that they can have a conversation between their emotions, what they just know deep down and what their head is saying so that there's an alignment in in that conversation in themselves. (laughs) So their head is the one that structures and organizes and plans, but it doesn't know the future. So it's also helping us not die, you know, our survival. And our heart is about, you know, what do we just know deep down, right? And then our emotions are very present moment um, and they can change from one second to the other. So we'll have a conversation between them. And that usually helps them to start to be aware when they're too much in their head and when what's, what's really holding them back. And it's a very intuitive process, but it helps them get clear and then they feel better afterwards. And that helps them also um, to 
uh, make some decisions afterwards. It's the weirdest thing, but it works. So those are some tools that I use when I notice that they're just like way in their head. I try to pull them into their bodies and help them get grounded and then and work from that space. Um, I do do some training also in my coaching. So if they ask me a question, I will always coach first. I will always get them to answer the question first. Like, what do I do about feedback? How should I give feedback? Well, what ideas do you have about feedback? So I always get them to think through things first. Once they've thought through their processes and we've pulled out the gold from there, then I'll add to that and then get them to think through it again and then go back to my coaching. So I, in some situations, I go back and forth a little bit between coaching and training, depending on the situation. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that earlier as well. And I wanted to come back to it because I think it's a really interesting, um, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic to have. And I, I don't know if this will happen for you now, but I'm sure it will as time goes on, you know, you'll be in a, in with a client because, you know, at some point you'll become a listening coach, right? There'll be on some level, there'll be that more than the communication, even, you know, explicitly. And so, yeah, how do you both contract for that with, with somebody you're working with, whether it's a, I guess, whether it's a team or it's a, an individual, a group or an individual or a team, um, but also how do you manage it in beyond what you just said in the moment to, you know, not get in the way of the, the type of learning that happens through pure coaching, but also, you know, allow the person to benefit from the experience and the teaching that they do. So there's a lot in your question there. And I think there's different parts of that question. There's a one like in the moment, how do I get clear between the coaching and training without getting in the way of the coaching? Right. And the second thing is the business side of things. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the business side, but when I speak about contracting, really, I mean, how do you, it strikes me, you probably create an agreement, which allows you to both teach and coach, uh, you know, train and coach with somebody. And Mm -hmm. what's important about that? It may not be the case, um, but what's important about the, the kind yeah. of conversations that happen up front that allow you to both be the coach and be the trainer? Mm-hmm. So um, let me think about this. I would say that often when people come to me right now or what I've noticed lately, they do want me to give them information and to t- give them tips and tricks and things like this. So the offer, when I do an offer, I have it, let's say they come for communication. I'll have, I write the offer in a way that when they take it to their boss, it sells the offer to their boss so they can get the coaching. So I write why it's important for the company, what we're going to focus on, the benefits to the company, the benefits for the individual. So my offer actually helps give them talking points to be able to talk to their boss, to get the the okay for the coaching, to give them that language. I focus on their topics, but I keep it open enough that if things shift and adapt, you know, we, we work with what they, what they need. In some offers where I know that they're expecting more training because I pay more, I charge more when I do training. Um, so I have my coaching rate, but if a company um, does a lot of coaching and training with me, then I'll give them a, you know, I have an adapted rate and for areas for companies, maybe where I don't do as much, but it's, they want training as well. Then I'll have a specific rate for that. And for that rate, which is also a little bit more, we put together a Google shared document where as we coach and topic comes, topics come up, I add resources and I add things to that Google doc. So it ends up being like their little manual, their, their personal manual. So I, I do that in those situations. I don't do that with the purely coaching situations because that takes a lot of extra time mm-hmm. and effort. And plus I'm pulling from all the workshops that I do. So there's a lot of value in the content that's in there. Um, 
the um, most of my coaching is word of mouth, but also I do do a lot of work in organizations and often they have like a learning and development budget that they can use however they want to, and they can use it for coaching. And then usually they talk to each other. And then, so now at the end of the year, I always get lots of requests so they can use their L and D budget by the end of the year. So that's why it got a little busier this end of the year than I expected, but that happens. So word of mouth is probably, I don't market that much. Mine has basically been through word of mouth, but what I would like to say, and I'm going to put this out there, my, um, my door opener into some of the organizations that I work, not all of them, but in some of them and some of my best clients, my door opener was actually a man. <laughs> I don't know if I would have gotten in as a woman. I don't know about this. Maybe now I would, but at the time it was um, somebody who had a lot of this, uh, senior level um, position who was coaching and they recognized the need for communication coaching. So they reached out to me and brought me in. Once I was in, then I was able to build my own relationships and build my own re reputation within that. But I don't know if they, if the company would have come to me looking for me and asked me to come in at that time. And I've had, I have friends of mine who are coaches and trainers who are men who they're the doors open for them a lot easier than they do for my women trainer coaches in general until you're established at a certain level. And so I always tell them, I said, thank you, thank you for opening the door for us because that's supporting that we all have an opportunity um, because I don't know if that always happens as equally. Hmm. And um, I, I don't know if that's important, but having my, yeah. my women coaches and men coaches that if the men coaches have a better job of getting into the organization and help bring your women in there too. Because even in my coaching, um, I have a lot of uh, professional women who come to me, you know, they need, people need different people and it's not about being competitive, but there's chemistry or needs with different coaches. So we can really help and support each other in growing our businesses and having impact. So that has been my, that has been my experience, or at least in the beginning when I was first getting started, that made a difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a few things in there. It's a once you're in, in these kind of once things are going in a business like yours, like mine, like th then the word of mouth can start. And one of the questions is how does it get going? And one of the things we need sometimes and is that door to be opened by people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a wonderful, like it's a beautiful thing to be able to open the door for people as well. I think like, yeah. it's worth saying that that it, it you know to be able to make the connections and for people and be part of their journeys is a, is a really wonderful thing. And yeah, what a, yeah, what a good observation, interesting observation about, about gender playing a role. Yeah. I wonder also with people, I don't know how your listeners are, but to have, um, you know, everybody has a, a history of experience. So that, Sometimes we, at first, I think when I first got into coaching, I thought I was closing one door and then opening another, but actually that's not true. Now, when I look at the work that I do with coaching and listening and training, my history, everything I've done is now coming together to make me my unique self and what I can offer to the world. And so we all have our unique part or piece, and yet we need each other 
because we can't do it alone. You know, we have to work. It's, I don't think we have to, but I think we can do much more and it's a lot more fun to work together. That's why I love Vera. You know, that's why I've mentioned different people, Jody. I can mention all these people, you know, Corinne, all these people who've been on my podcast, amazing people. And we all, it's all, it's great when we can help each other and support each other um, to, I don't know, make a better world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I completely agree. And, you know, maybe that's, there's a little bridge there for us into, I'm, you know, I'm curious, we've talked about lots of parts of your work. And, and by the way, it totally comes across that thing that you just said from people who have been listening to this will have totally felt how your unique self has come together in this, in, in all the stories you touched on from, from your past. And it's, it's really lovely to hear that um, and to get a sense and a sight into, into somebody. I guess where there's other parts of your work, though, that we haven't really talked about we, explicitly, at least, um, like the listening um, labs and, 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 and all kinds of other, other things, you know, and on your website, you talk about, we touched on them a little bit, workshops, but also the training. And, and we've talked a little bit about speaking and, and coaching. What are you excited about that's, that's coming up for you? What's next? Or is, and or is there anything that we haven't talked about that, that, that feels important to, to get into? What's coming up? I don't know exactly, but I do have a couple of uh, things I'd like to focus on. So I want to, one of my challenges is that I'm a creative idea person and I'm a connector. Therefore, I always see all these possibilities and ideas. And sometimes I have too much going on and I have to really focus to pick and choose. It doesn't matter what it is, but to pick and choose and to work on it. So one of the things I'd like to do in terms of um, the listening piece, I'd love to start playing around with playgrounds. This this emerged in the TED Talk, this idea of playgrounds. I've done listening labs a lot in the past, and the labs are also very experiential. You could call them a type of, of playground. And I was thinking, well, what's the difference between listening lab and listening playground? What is that difference for me? And one is the listening lab is almost to me like the first time you're experiencing something and you're you're trying things out, you're experimenting and getting a taste of that listening. And the playgrounds for me are more where you go and practice. And maybe even practice with really practical everyday things. Now I haven't, I've only started playing around with this idea. <laughs> so this is still an experimental phase, but I put it on my website <laughs> to have a plan. And, you know, I do play a lot. And then how do I put it into this form? And I've been talking to people, all, a lot of other people who do different types of listening things to say, you know, how can we maybe create a playground? And what does it also mean for the researchers and the science? Is there a way they can get involved? So we're, this is an emerging thing. So if anybody has ideas, I'm, I'm always open to some ideas. So that's something I would like to see. Is there a way to create a space where people can practice on a regular basis to work on their listening muscle, which is actually going to help their communication. It's going to help their voice. It's going to help them work better to feel better and maybe make, meet some great people in the meantime. Right. Um, so that's one area I'd like to focus. I also have not been interviewed on that many podcasts because I've, I'm more used to interviewing other people. And so I decided to set a goal for myself to be interviewed once a month this coming year. I think our mm. goals don't have to be so overwhelming, but just once a month, Yeah, you know, because we have life to take care of too. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so, but once a month and you're going to be my first podcast. Yes. So woohoo, we got to celebrate Woo. that. <laughs> yeah. My first podcast of the year. So you're helping me set my goal. And I would like to do more speaking. Mm-hmm. I would like to do more speaking and giving voice or listening a voice and to play around with the idea of how to do speaking in a way that people still experience listening. That was what I tried to do with the TEDx talk, you know, to not only talk, but to create an experience. I don't know if it worked or not. I think so. Um, Which I'd love to, you know, have feedback from listeners about that. But I wanted to have it feel a little bit like a listening experience. And is that possible? And how can I do that? Yeah. I mean, there's a, you know, the listening playgrounds is very cool. Um, And I'm sure like, and like you said, meet, meet some interesting people, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that, you know, when, well, listening creates relationships. And so if you're in a listening playground with somebody, if you're in a listening circle, if you've had the experience of being listened to, you know, then that, those, those relationships form. And, and also when you listen to people, they get really, suddenly they become magically very interesting. It's my You experience. are very like, interesting. <laughs> like everyone is really interesting when they're listened to really beautifully. It, it's certainly, certainly my experience. Yeah. Um, but I-, I love what you said about giving listening a voice. And what a good challenge to set for, te- you know, having these more speaking engagements. And when you said, I was going to ask, why is that? And as soon as you said, giving listening a voice, I was like, I don't almost don't need to ask why, why doing more speaking is, is important to you. But then how do you, you know, how do you give listening a voice? And what a great challenge to say, well, yeah, we, as, as we've kind of touched on already, it's not just talking about listening, right? Um, if we want to give listening, a, if we want to actually give listening a voice, there's something about it. We, listening has to be actually involved in it. Um, so I'm just curious, Robbie, you've been doing great listening on this uh, podcast. Um, from our conversation, like, what are some ideas that are coming up for you? Well, the way that I tend to function a little bit, I think like you're saying, for me, it's my version of it, is that I tend to see connections. You know, and that's what, so when an idea comes up for me, it tends to be connecting things. And I think I've mentioned some of them. So some of the things that have come up are, you know, it's just that settling again, which I think has been happening for me with the coach training that, that, that I'm, I'm working on, which is a set, settling of the, the fundamental place of listening in not just coaching, but in kind of the historical moment that we are living in. Um, that made a connection for me. You were talking about the, the listening circles. There's an organization called Rebel Wisdom, and really they are a, they're a YouTube channel. Essentially, they're a new media um, company. But one of the things they're interested in has been, you know, sparked, not entirely, but not entirely separately uh, from this thing that sparked yours from like, you know, what the heck was going on in 2016, you know, in the UK, but also in, in the US, but also in the UK, also, you know, in lots of other parts of, of the world that felt like a year when, you know, something was happening and they came to something that you said too, you know, which is one of the questions is how do we move to a form of collective intelligence, you know, that really to fate, to deal with the complexity of the problems that we're facing, no longer can we have one really smart person, no matter how smart they are, um, telling people how to do things because that, you know, no one is smart enough to do that basically. And what's the possibility for collective, collectively doing that? 
I think one of the things that this conversation has done for me is, um, again, just kind of uh, allow that to coalesce um, in a way that, um, yeah, in a way that speaks to, I think one of the things that, that you've done in this conversation or you, or you did very beautifully was speak to the, the many levels at which listening can have an impact. Um, but, but bringing it in, starting in some ways, if you talk about talking about 2016 and that spark for you, but also finishing in this conversation in, in different ways with, yeah, the, the, the ripples of the impact of, of listening. So I'm not sure that I answered your question about, with ideas, but that's what's coming up for me at, at mm-hmm. the end of coming to the end of this call. What do you notice? I was, I was going to say, I was thinking about Vera came up to me too, you know, so here's the call we've had, it has, um, it's been really lovely. I think I'm also taking quite a bit with me to think about actually. So, um, also some clarity on focus on, uh, what's important on maybe also I was thinking since we were speaking to coaches not that I don't forget about coaches, but sometimes I'm so into this business world that I forget, oh yeah, like talking to the the coaches who are listening to this and um, you know, letting the listeners, letting you know how important your role is and that you, the work that you do through this listening piece and, and what probably, you know, the tra- like whatever, what you do in your training, that this has such this, this, the impact is much more than what you realize. And it's really needed. It's really needed. And so maybe we're part of that rebel (laughs) group and, and what we're trying to do with it and to see how we can, how this also um, moves us forward and takes us. So we don't stay in this. It's good to explore, but we, we need to get practical too. We need to get things done and what we, what can we do? So that what we're getting done actually matters <laughs> and has some meaning, you know. This is this is important. And Vera, who was the reason why we're even talking together, <laughs> what would you go tell Vera <laughs> about afterwards? this? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I probably will go and tell Vera. Why? You know, I, you know, we've been talking about opening doors. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, there's there's no reason why technically we might not have had this conversation without Vera, but we didn't. Right. And that's because Vera made that connection, you know. And so the first thing is, is definitely gratitude to Vera. Um, wow. And I think, you know, <laughs> so Vera is also someone like you who's the way she talks about listening and brings a focus to it. Uh, you know, and another thing that I'm taking from this conversation is it's not that I don't think about listening. And clearly from this conversation, you've heard me talk about how I'm thinking about listening, you know, and there's a way in which what I love about Vera and when I, you know, when I connect to her and specifically when she's talking about listening is it just gives me that, like, um, it's like someone's turning the focus on a camera or something. And it's just, instead of focusing on something else, just my focus is, is back on listening for a little while. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason I'm grateful for this conversation is that's definitely happened for me. Um, how, how about you? What are you going to say to Vera after this call? I think she should get interviewed someday. Yeah, she definitely should. She's, She's good at holding the space for others, but one of these days, yeah. I think uh, um, it would be great. She has such a wise. When I first met her, she she was so quiet; she didn't say anything. And she later on, she's like, 
do you think that I could uh, hold, I think it was something like hold space for someone just by listening? Do you think that could be my role? And I'm like, well, yeah, but actually what's happened is she's, um, she's got a beautiful voice and she has so many good things to say, you know, really wise person. And uh, so I'd be excited to see what would happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, many people should interview Vera. That is completely <laughs> true. That is completely true. Um, Raquel, thanks so much yes. for your time. Um, before we wrap up, like yes. I just want to check, is there anything else that you, you know, you said gave a beautiful message for coaches out there? Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about or anything else you want to to share before we wrap up the call? Hmm. I just, or, any, or any way you want to point people, I guess, is the last thing. I mean, we'll put links to everything in the <laughs> in the in the pages and the show notes where people are listening. But but that too, you know, what would really, uh, I guess, if I can ask for help, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really good at the social media stuff and asking people to like uh, like and share. I'm not. I'm not good at that. But if but I'll do that here. For the TED Talk, because I was talking to my mom, I'm like, you guys got to share. She's like, oh, you can you can like a TED Talk, like you know, like <laughs> this is my mom. But if if you guys are on YouTube and you look at the TED Talk or you listen to the podcast and you like it, you know, authentically like it, then please uh like it and share it. That would be awesome. <laughs> and mainly it's about giving listening a voice. And the more we can do that, the more we can help people to just start even thinking about this. And noticing and becoming aware, that's the start. Or I'd love to spark that. And, you know, if we get this playground thing going on, or you're interested in anything around listening, then um, then reach out, reach out. So that would be awesome. The more of us we can do it, the more exciting it would be. <laughs> yeah, nice. And we'll put links to, to you and all your work in the, wherever people are listening, like I say. And um, yeah, people should definitely... You know, watch the TED Talk. It's there. It's it's beautiful. And the podcast is a. If people have liked this conversation, especially the bits where we we you know dove into listening, then they'll they'll love your your podcast and such a diverse group of people on there tackling listening. Like I said, from so many different angles. So we'll put a link to that too. And um, but yeah, Raquel, look, it's been such a pleasure to to hear you speak and listen to you as well as as well as be listened to. Um, yeah, thanks for all your time and excited to see how all of this rolls out into the future. Yeah. And this long conversation is not that long. It went so, it went by so quick. It's Thank always like, that. yeah, no, it's, it's funny for, for <laughs> I just sometimes get comments from people saying that the episodes are too long, but um, <laughs> mostly I think they should listen on 1.5 speed and then they'll, uh, and, and then it won't be so long, but um, yeah, I love it. Like when you're listening, it's an, it's another part because we're in the listening thing. It's like when you're listening, what sometimes happens is, you know, I've got a little clock by the side of my screen for, for, for this, for coaching. You glanced it and suddenly 30 minutes has gone by and you don't really know how that's happened oh. now. Now two hours. So yeah, thanks so much, Raquel. Thank you, Robbie. Hello, everyone. Robbie here again. I'm back um, at the end of the interview just to say a few more things. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Raquel and uh, me. Uh, I had a wonderful time listening back to it this afternoon. Um, And there are just a few things that I want to say. As you got all the way to the end of the podcast, um, I thought, you know, there's a good chance you enjoyed it. Um, And uh, maybe you listened on one and a half speed like we were joking about in the episode. If you did, good work. Well well done saving half an hour or so. if you like the podcast, there are just a few things you could do to help support it, if you're so inclined. Um, the first is, uh, <laughs> you could write, you could follow, 
or write a review of the podcast wherever you're listening. So uh, you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. You can write reviews on iTunes. But I've also, because I've been, because my book is out, as I said at the start of the, the podcast, I've been searching myself on Amazon occasionally, certainly more often than I ever have before. Um, and one of the things that pops up is this podcast because it's on Amazon Music and it's on Audible. And so if you want to go onto Amazon, it looks rather lonely there. It has no ratings. It has no reviews. If you want to go and write a review, if you have a spare five minutes to write a review on Amazon um, for the podcast, that would be amazing. Um, as would a rating on Spotify. Um, it looks rather sad at the moment. Not many ratings, although one listener um, rated it um, somewhere out in Central America. So thank you to you, Jamie. Um, other ways you could help support the podcast. There are a few of them. So the first is spread the word. Share it with another coach who you think might be interested in it. Share it, share it with someone who's as passionate about listening as you are um, in the case of this episode. But you might also like to support it in a more practical way. So there are a couple of ways to do that. Um, one is you can become a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. Um, that's just a chance to give some money, receive a few little benefits uh, wrapped up there too, to help the podcast keep going, to help it support me, to help uh, the podcast reach new people. Um, one of the things that the money from that has been supporting is launching the podcast, uh, launching the Coach's Journey on LinkedIn and on Facebook and and, and getting some, some good content on there uh, at a time when my I, I don't have the energy and time to do all that myself, um, especially given the book's been coming out. Uh, so you could become a supporter. Again, that's at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. But if you also, if you might want to support the podcast and also be coached by me, you might be interested in becoming a part of the Coach's Journey community. You can read more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, it's a, a, an open-ended group coaching program led by me. So you'll be coached by me. I'll be your coach. And you, it, it's the most affordable and flexible way of working with me. So you can pay as little as about £10 a month. Um, and for that, you get to come to a couple of community calls every year. You get to be coached by me. You get to be supported by other members of the community. Um, and yeah, then you can pay a little more. You can pay £20 a month and come to or, or so and, and come to uh, two calls a year. No, four calls a, four calls a year. Uh, and uh, Or you can pay about £100 a month. And then you become a full member. You get some one-to-one -one coaching by me. You come to all 10 community calls a year um, uh, and and get to be a full member of the community. And that's, that's the most powerful way that I, you know, I know to support other coaches to learn and grow is to support them as a group because there's so many levels of learning. Um, it's flexible. It's an affordable way of working with me. So if you're interested in that, you can find out more at coachesjourney.com slash community. Um, and while we're talking about the community and the supporters, thank you to Alex McIntyre, Alex Swallow, Joey Owen, Ken Bruren, Ruth Savile and Michael Hubbard for your ongoing support. It means a lot, as does the support um, of all the members of the community. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Raquel. I hope we'll have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon and wishing you a wonderful rest of the day. Mm -hmm.